You're listening to the Happy Doc Student Podcast, a podcast dedicated to providing clarity to the often mysterious doctoral process. Do you feel like you're losing your mind? Let me and my guests show you how to put more joy in your journey and graduate with your sanity, health, and relationships intact. I'm your host, Dr. Heather Frederick, and today I'm chatting with Katie Ferris. Katie is the founder and head editor of CS Ferris, a company dedicated to helping academics turn their research into engaging content. With a master's in English from Cambridge University and over 13 years of editing for leading business academics, Katie has a deep understanding of what great writing really looks like and a passion for helping as many academics as possible tap into this valuable currency. She's joining us today from London, Canada. Katie, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't we start off by having you spend a few minutes sharing with the audience a little bit about your story and how is it that you got interested in helping scholars just sound better? Sure. Yeah. So I started my own career kind of leaning towards academia, thinking I would go into academia. And when that didn't exactly pan out, I still wanted to stay in that sphere and work with academics and, you know, use the abilities that I'd cultivated in academia. So it just seemed natural to me to help anybody I could with their writing, because that was a big need that I saw among academics. They need to get their ideas out, but a lot of them have trouble communicating it. So that was 13 years ago that I started working with academics at the business school in my hometown. And since then, word of mouth has just kind of built my business. And today I have clients in over 20 countries at last count. And we work on their writing. We work on everything from dissertations to funding applications, tenure packages, anything that can, you know, help further their goals and their career. Katie, I love having guests like you on the show because you challenge my notion that Scholarly academic writing should be clinical and dry and boring. And part of what you do is help turn this style of genre into something very engaging so that people who have been working hard doing this research can get the research out. Because if the writing's not engaging, people stop reading, right? Yes, you're so right. That's that's exactly what it is. I think that, unfortunately, a lot of people don't realize that the writing needs to be readable at the end of the day. Even if it's an excellent idea, excellent research, world-changing findings, it needs to be readable. It needs to be packaged in a way that people want to consume it. And so with my background as an academic, I was in English, bringing that element of storytelling to academic research seems to really get results for my clients. And sometimes it's not even it's not even something you can put your finger on necessarily. Why is this writing so much stronger than a lot of the other academic writing that I'm reading? But it's because it's resonating with you in a way that stories do, you know, or or conversation or some of those more intuitive forms of communication. You brought up storytelling and I'm fascinated by this idea because historically we're storytellers. Yes. Now, I don't know, are we not honing that skill? Have we kind of lost interest in that? Is it something that we're not taught, whether it's in school or modeled in our homes? But it's something that is starting to get more interest. 
I'd love for you to share a little bit more on that. Definitely. Yes, you're so right. Storytelling is, I would say, just in the last five years, having quite a, a renaissance in the corporate world, in the academic world. People are doing research on this, finding out that, you know, when we hear a story versus data, parts of our brain are actually lighting up, right? Like like unique parts of our brain and taking that information and doing something with it that we just don't do when we hear straight facts. So people are using this. I mean, it, to think that companies like Microsoft and IBM now have chief storytellers, that is a position that's becoming increasingly common in the corporate world. So I, I do think we'll see more and more awareness of this in academia as well and across various forms of research to make things more readable and engaging and to really get the ideas out there that people need to read. And memorable, I would say. And memorable, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Making connections is something we do primarily through story, you know, synthesizing the information, the new information we're reading with what we already know and have in our own lives and experiences. That's something we do through storytelling. So I I love that you're talking about storytelling because, yeah, it's it's something that's not taught in current forms of academic writing that I'm seeing, but I hope that it will be in future. And everyone loves a story. Mm -hmm. And then instead of having, like you said, this list of facts, and I think that's where sometimes students, especially doctoral students, struggle is they want to tell you facts. Fact number one, fact number two, fact number three, fact number four. And something that I see that's very common is lack of a coherent story. And that's what I'll say. I'll, I'll say your paper needs to tell a story. I've never said, hey, let's talk about storytelling. I hadn't even thought about that until I looked at your website. This idea of as an academic, as a scholar, you've got this wealth of information in front of you. You've done all this work accumulating all this information. And I think the status quo hmm. is battle off the facts and not take the time to figure out how does it together to tell a story. So I'm just curious, how do you work with people to develop that skill? It depends on what they bring to me, uh, I do offer two levels of service. So if they bring something to me, most people know that their writing's not clear, first of all. That's that's the main thing they'll say to me. Can you help make this more clear? Because I don't know how to make it clearer. So that is something that we can address with a pure proofread. But really, my signature service and what I love to do is go deeper than that and bring the storytelling element that we're talking about. So if we are working together in that capacity, I will ask them some questions they've never thought about, probably, in their research. If this were an adventure story, who would the hero be? Those kind of questions will get them thinking about their own data in a way that actually makes it more interesting, even to them. It sometimes takes their thinking in a whole new direction, really. So that kind of storytelling approach is something that doesn't come intuitively to a lot of people at first, but once they see it and once they notice what I'm doing, it's amazing how it informs everything they write after that. They can see what makes something more engaging and it's taking taking somebody on a journey of your train of thought. You know what I mean? So you're not just, as you say, throwing statement after statement after statement. You start in a certain place, you set the context, you take the 
argument on a journey or an adventure, if you will, and you end transformed. You end in a different place than you started. And that storytelling element has now made your research so much more readable to the average journal editor, reviewer, anybody who's going to be engaging with it. Your committee. Your committee, exactly. Yeah, your chair is going to be delighted to see what you've done for sure. You know, as you were talking, I was thinking maybe the questions that you're asking and getting people to think about their research in a different way is reminding them of how we used to do things because kids love to tell stories. I think we were we're born storytellers, yeah. right? But somehow we kind of lose that. Probably through lack of just simply practicing. How often do you sit down around a campfire and say, tell me a story? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, it's so true. It, it's interesting when I'm really having trouble with someone getting those questions answered and they say, I don't I don't know what you mean. I'm not sure how to think about it like that. There is no hero of this story. I say, can we please get on a Zoom call and have a conversation? Because something shifts right away when you're talking face to face like we are. Something just changes and you start telling me the story of your research in a way that a lot of people can't do when they're writing. And I think it's because, unfortunately, a lot of the ways that you're taught to write about your ideas and in academia in general, they are so prescriptive, right? They're very limiting. People are more concerned about ticking off boxes, fitting into a certain structure, following a format that they've been given. So it's difficult to step outside that until you start talking about it and talking about it to me, who is not an expert in the field like you are. So you're going to have to start using simpler words and and things that just naturally make your research a little more accessible to a broader audience, which is what most people are trying to do. I'm so glad you brought up that you'll hop on a call because I was wondering, are these questions you're asking over an email and are people typing these out? Because I have noticed something very similar when I'm struggling with a written work from a student. I'll say, can we hop on a Zoom call? Because there's something about being able to look into someone's face and seeing their nonverbal cues. But a phone call, hey, I'll take a phone call. We can't get on a Zoom. <laughs> hey, can you just tell me? I don't want you to read me anything. Yes. Put everything away. Can you just tell me what it is you're trying to say? And some huge breakthroughs can happen. Yes, definitely. And they they will notice that breakthrough and they will notice weaknesses as well. It's when they get on with me and start talking that they say, you know what, that it's not really necessary for me to include this information. I've gone off on a tangent or without me even giving input about it, they can see it themselves. Yeah. Or wait a second, that doesn't make sense. I'm contradicting myself. You know, I've even suggested, hey, do you have a neighbor or a family member who hasn't really been exposed to research? It's not someone you talk to about this stuff. Could you take them out for a tea or coffee and ask if they'll listen to you? Tell them about what you're doing because, like you said, this gives them an opportunity to be really clear. It's amazing when you have to simplify things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've got a hundred pages to type this out and explain myself. But if you're yes. having a conversation with someone and you need to actually distill it and simplify it, how quickly it becomes clear where you're stuck. I love that idea. Taking someone out for a tea is better than my current approach. I usually tell people, turn on the voice memo function on your phone. Pretend that you just met someone on a city bus that you're riding. You don't know what they do for a living, but probably not what you do. 
and tell them about your research. I mean, you're talking to yourself, but it, but it's the same idea, right? You're trying to simplify as much as you can. And it's easier for you to put yourself in that person's shoes. What wouldn't they know? They don't know my literature. They don't know X, Y, and Z terms. I'm going to have to define these things. It's nice to go back and listen to that voice memo and realize what you've maybe left out in your writing or taking someone for a tea. Yeah. Although I love that too. I think, hey, audience, use these in combination because it'd be really interesting to whichever one you can do first. It's probably easier to record yourself, right? Because you just turn on your phone and do it. But listening to yourself, I have used that strategy when I'm preparing for a talk and something makes total sense to me on paper. Yes. Like my rationale and my segues all make sense. And then I listen to myself and I think, oh my goodness. So that is a fantastic strategy. Record yourself and listen to it. Love that. People that I am working with are often trying to reach a much broader audience. So this is part of it. I mean, they're trying to get TED Talks. They're trying to get in practitioner magazines or publications. They're sometimes trying to get interviews in media outlets. And that's not going to happen if you are speaking the way you'd be speaking to a conference of your peers, right? Other experts who know most of what you know, it's just not going to happen. So it's an excellent exercise for them to picture simplifying, streamlining to the bare minimum what it is that they are excited to contribute with their research. And I think that's such an important point because it may be that you want to engage in the storytelling while you're writing something like a dissertation or a doctoral project because you're Mm -hmm. getting back from your committee, that your writing isn't coherent, it's not clear, you're not telling a, a story that we understand. But let's say you're done. Let's say you're a listener that, hey, my committee is okay with my writing. I'm good to go. But now you've spent all this time and energy on this research and you want to reach a larger audience. That is a revision that you will do because the typical dissertation or doctoral project, let's face it, it's very long. If you were to try to turn your dissertation or doctoral project as is into a TED talk, it'd be three hours. Yes, yeah, for sure. So I think that that's also an interesting skill set that you have that you can share with the audience. Hey, this might be something that I want to consider. Yeah, we actually go back to the bare basics. They will approach me with the paper and say, can you help me turn this into, you know, something simplified maybe for managers or people who aren't academics? And I say, well, before we even look at the paper or any of the writing, can you just answer three questions for me? And the first one is, what are you saying in one single sentence? If you could only say one sentence about this whole piece of writing, what is it you're saying? Number two, why say it? And that should also be one sentence. And number three, what is the danger if you never say this or no one ever says this? And I know that you had a similar question in your book, actually, in your dissertation alignment worksheet. It was, what happens if we don't solve this problem? And that that question, that third question of significance is so critical. And I see it left out all the time <laughs> because when you are an expert, you don't you don't realize what you're skipping sometimes, right? Of course, it's significant. How could it not be significant? But you don't maybe explain that significance clearly enough for someone who is just so out of the loop so out of your field that they don't see it. Yeah, you're already convinced. You haven't thought that you might need to convince others about this. Yes, yeah, exactly. And demonstrate 
how this gap is affecting not just your niche or area, but the world as a whole, because that's what makes research so compelling, really. You know, I think those three questions you just shared would be great for a proposal defense or a final defense. Do you mind going through them one more time? Absolutely. Yes. The first question is just simply, what are you saying with this document in one sentence, even if the document is, you know, a huge dissertation? Number two, why say this at all? Why is it important we say it? And number three, what is the danger if we never say this, if no one ever says this? And number two and three sound similar, but they're not. Number two is usually what people call the importance of the work or the contributions. Number three is highlighting the context and the problem. And that sometimes gets left out. People are so eager to say, you know, what it is they need to say and how it's going to fill a gap in the research. Let's say that's your contribution. Well, why would anyone fill this gap? What's the danger if we never fill this gap? That needs to be clear in academic work for it to get talked about and cited and published and all those things. Yeah, I love those questions. And, you know, most any scholarly work like a dissertation would be turned into a TED Talk. And I think those questions could really help a recent graduate hone in on what would I say in 10 minutes? So, Katie, in preparation for this podcast, you created something really special that I can't wait for the audience. And this includes students and faculty to get their hands on, because when we talk about storytelling and we talk about creating a work that's engaging, it's something that I see people struggle with a lot. And as a faculty member, I would say things like this. The writing's not where it needs to be, or you need to work on your writing, or can you consider getting an editor? I could identify that there was something off with the writing, but I couldn't necessarily give them a tool to say, what I want you to do is this, because yeah. it will make your writing better. And I always, as a PhD in psychology, kind of rationalize that as, I don't have a background in English. They know I, I know good writing when I see it, but I don't know how to teach it. That was kind of, you know, my kind of get out of jail free card. But this download that you have starts with a paragraph. And when I read that paragraph, I thought this, this is what I see all day long. And then presents a revised paragraph that was, it was to me, it was the difference between taking a sip of something really bitter and then like drinking your favorite. Like it was, it was so smooth. I wanted to read more. The first mm. one kind of cringe, like nails on the chalkboard. And then the second one was like, the sky parts, the angels sing. This is what you want to have happen when your committee reads your work, right? And so can you explain what this handout is all about and then how they can get it? I am so, so glad you found it helpful. Thank you so much for that feedback. So the handout is addressing one of the most common problems I see and one of the most common problems, I use quotations, problems, people come to me with. And that is the writing is clunky. It doesn't flow. So how do I create flow? Because you're right, when there is flow in the writing, it is the difference between wading through something that is just so difficult to read and just smoothly following the ideas along as though you're barely even aware that you're reading. And so I, I wanted to put together this resource that would help people create flow. And the easiest way to do that without getting 
too deep into all the different ways we could approach it, is simply to create more links between your sentences. And that's what this handout does. It's creating flow with little links. And those little links are just all the connecting words organized into a table that people can draw on that connect your sentences to each other in a way that helps the reader interpret new information. So basically, when you're throwing statement after statement after statement after statement, that's the piece that you're talking about. That's the paragraph that I gave as an example. The reader has this cognitive labor of piecing together those sentences. Well, how does this relate to what I just read? I I don't understand. Why are we saying this suddenly? And it's just so difficult to read writing like that, especially on a very complex technical topic, which a lot of academic writing is. When you insert these little links, very simple words that we take for granted, like moreover, however, yet, indeed, they start telling the reader how to interpret each sentence in relation to what they just read. So you're creating these little links in the chain of your ideas, and the whole thing just flows so much better. Sometimes there will be bigger organizational issues, maybe, with flow that these little links can't solve. But for the most part, I kid you not, it, what you just said, I, I'm so happy to hear that because I agree. It's the difference between writing that your supervisor is going to tell you, I just, I don't know what it is. This writing's just off. It's clunky. It's not good. You need an editor versus writing that is just a pleasure to read. Yeah, I love learning new things. But what I was trying to communicate for decades to my students about their writing was, you're missing leads. What you need are some leads. Here's a handout, which is what you have created with a handy table. It's very practical. Now take your paragraphs, put in the leads, and let's see what we've got and let's go from there. You're right. There might be bigger problems. But what I love about the example you gave is there was nothing technically wrong, right? So you could be sending something through Grammarly or spell and grammar check and you're confused when your professor comes back and says, oh, your writing's terrible. And you're like, but Grammarly gave it a great score. It's grammatically correct. Yes. Something missing. And that type of writing is so exhausting. And your committee members are reading a lot of pages of your writing. Make Mm -hmm. it easier on them. Let them get through this. Let them focus on the content. Spiffy up this writing with these things called links. Again, who knew? Maybe some of you out there studying English composition or literature are going to be like, yeah, Heather, where have you been? But for everybody else, I'm going to encourage you to get this download, especially faculty feel at a loss and disempowered as to how to help their students. So Katie, how do they get this download? They can go to my website, csferris.com, and it's cs. P-H-A-R-E-S dot com. <laughs> a bit of a strange spelling there. And it is right on the homepage of my website as a completely free download. And I hope that it can help. You're right, not just students, but faculty as well, because as you say, everybody is not an expert in writing. And yet writing is this currency of academia. So people are constantly coming up against this barrier of we need to improve the writing, but how? I don't have time to become an expert in the English language or a master writer. And so I hope that this tool can just show you there are some little hacks, including these little linking words, that can really, really, really improve your writing with not much effort on the writer's end. And I just want to note, your website is focused on business because that's where you found yourself. 
business academics, but I've checked out all your content. And I got to say, you know, as you grow and expand, everything that you're sharing would be applicable to anyone writing an academic work. So when you get there, keep that in mind. And as we're getting ready to wrap up this episode, I'm wondering if you have a favorite quote or some final words of wisdom you want to share with the audience. I think I would say as some final words of wisdom, if you are listening to this, I guarantee you are a better writer than you think. And unfortunately, there is a lot of writing advice throughout academia and outside academia that can make you feel like there's a lot of work to do to become a great writer. And in reality, I think we all have the ability to be great writers, great communicators when we draw on those intuitive elements of storytelling and simplified conversation and explaining our ideas to a second person. So I would say the work of improving your writing is often about deconditioning rather than adding more rules, more information, more resources. And I hope that that can empower your listeners and help them feel more confident about their writing abilities. So it may be more about understanding the things that you've been taught that you kind of just need to unlearn. Exactly. Yeah. And about simplifying what you're saying, because increasingly academic writing is moving away from exclusive and technical and dry and towards, you know, being a little bit more personal and engaging. And I'd like to see that barrier being broken down so that the real world, as it were, can benefit from these ideas that new research is finding. Well, Katie, thank you so much. I had so much fun with you today. Me too. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for listening. And I look forward to connecting with you on the next episode. Until then, if you're looking for more ways to invite joy in your journey, check out the free resources at expandyourhappy.com. You'll find downloads like an article I wrote titled The Doctoral Journey, 12 Things You Need to Know That They Probably Won't Tell You. You'll also find a PDF that organizes all podcasts by the seven steps detailed in the Happy Doc Student Handbook, which you can also find on the website. Finally, if you're looking for a Happy Doc Student swag, I've got that too. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and YouTube channel. And if you want to make my day, rate and review so that together we can change the way doctoral education is delivered and experienced. Hey, one more thing. Just a quick reminder that the information, opinions, and recommendations presented in this podcast are for general information only. 